0: Amen. Acts chapter 10 tonight, if you would, please. Thank you very much for the message and song, the challenge. As we stand together, we'll consider Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, my Lord? What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, Whose surname is Peter? He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey, they drew nigh unto the city. Peter went up unto the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the field and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause whereof ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God, and of a good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in. And found many that were come together. Now that one phrase there, if I could just call attention to it in verse 27, he went in. It's easy just to read over that, but that's highly significant. For a Jewish man to go into a Gentile home. He went in. In fact, when he went in, the scope of world missions broadened. Yep. And he said unto them, You know how that it is an an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying. Gainsaying there would be without, without any objections. As soon as I was sent for, I asked therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And we'll stop our reading there. But that was a prepared audience for a prepared preacher. I believe it took more work to prepare the preacher than it did the audience. It seems like he had to get the lesson three times. But, you know, Peter learns in threes, seems to be. I want to preach to you tonight, God's open-door policy. God's open-door policy, part one, part one. In part one, we're going to focus on this, God's leadership, God's leadership in evangelizing the world. God's leadership in evangelizing the world. And in part two, at a later time, we'll consider our responsibility then in evangelizing the world but may god bless the reading of his word as you're seated we'll get into the message tonight most agree that this is one of the most important sections of the book of acts 48 verses long it's the longest narrative in the books in the book and thus it shows that that alone shows its importance And it would be easy to build a case to say that this was really the turning point of the book. As you come to chapter 10, in fact, the rest of the account of Acts is the mission primarily to the Gentiles. And so it certainly is the turning point of the book, some have said, is the high point in the church's expanding mission. It's the high point. Peter, in which Peter became fully convinced of God's purpose, fully convinced of God's purpose to reach all peoples. It was very important that that Peter was on board with this because Peter would be very influential to the church there in Jerusalem and they would, would value his opinion and would listen to his testimony. He would play a major role in helping Gentiles, non-Jewish people, belong in the church that Jesus started. Have you ever felt like uh, or treated like you did not belong? You ever felt like that? maybe someone said to you, who said you could be here? You ever had that? Who said you could be here? Um, I remember going to a place up in Boston. It was a pretty nice restaurant. We didn't know it at the time, being from Kentucky. We don't know all those things, you know, but went to this pretty nice restaurant and the folks said, "Uh, we cannot serve you in their, uh, I can't do it, Brother Copes, like you could, you know, no doubt being from that area, but we can't serve you in your casual wear, you know, and And so we were not welcome there. Well, we've been kicked out of better places than that, no doubt. But (laughs) any case, have you ever felt like you just didn't belong? Someone made you feel that way. Who invited you? Who said you could be here? Well, the issue is settled when someone of higher authority says, well, I said they could be here. Uh It might be an, uh, an older brother who says to a younger brother or younger sister, who said you could be here? dad did mom did oh that that settles it or uh at work you know who said you could be in this project well the boss did well that settles it well here are the the gentiles who need to be accepted into the people of god and some jews are going to say who said you could be here well this account tells us who told them they could be there And it's none other than, not Peter, not James, not John, not another apostle. It was none other than God who said, I want you here. And if God said it, then that settles it. So this is God's open door policy. I looked up just that phrase, open door policy. And and it means this, allowing people to pass through freely. Allowing people to pass through freely. Allowing access to the inside. Allowing access to the inside. No restrictions on entry. No restrictions on entry. In other words, anybody could come. This was very important. Now, we must understand that, that Gentiles, non-Jewish people, which are most of us, there's maybe a, a few or two uh, Jews, uh, or perhaps, I'm not sure, but I'd say probably just all Gentiles here tonight. Thank God he opened up the door that we might be saved. But Gentiles have been saved throughout all of world history. Uh, non-Jewish people. Rahab was saved. And and as Hebrews 11 would point out, and Ruth, a Moabitish woman, was saved. And so these individuals had been saved. But but the issue here is their inclusion into the church. And remember what Paul said in Ephesians 3, that the church was a mystery. They didn't see that coming. The Jews didn't, they didn't, they didn't understand the church. It was a mystery. It was, but then it was revealed. So then the question becomes, okay, Can we allow the Gentiles in? Can we fellowship with the Gentiles? Well, this makes it very clear that they could be included because God included them. The major emphasis in this chapter, as I studied the first part of it, is on divine direction. It's it's squarely on God's leadership. In fact, these verses have to do with some aspect of God's leadership. In verse 3, he saw in a vision. Of course, that vision came from God. Verse eleven, if you look again, he saw heaven open. You see that? Just want to point out to you a few things here, real quick. Can you do this? Verse eleven, you see God uh, opening heaven there uh, and giving there that that vision to Peter. Verse fifteen, a voice spake unto Peter. Verse sixteen, it was done uh, three times total for Peter, and that was God taking initiative. Verse nineteen, it was the Spirit of God that said to Peter, Peter, I want you to go. Verse number 22, Cornelius gives report and how that he was warned, look at it, from God. Verse number 28, he talks about how that, uh, how that God spoke to him and, he showed, and God showed me. Peter says, God showed me that I shouldn't call any man unclean. And verse number 33, Cornelius says, we're all here present before God to hear what God commanded you to tell us. So I'm telling you, all the way throughout all these verses here in this first half of it, you see, God was leading, God was leading, God was leading all the way. God was leading. The major, one individual said it this way, the major advances in the Christian witness are under divine direction. It was not Peter and the others who were coming up with a strategy to, to win the world of Christ, but rather it was God leading them. And they were just simply following and so that's our emphasis tonight, is that God is leading. I believe God led back then. I believe God is leading today. I believe God leads all ages and all people, all saved individuals. I believe God is leading you. I believe He's giving you some direction, giving you some leadership in various areas. The key tonight is this. Will you follow His leadership? Will you follow his leadership, Because so, we can see in this first part of Acts 10 that the gospel went to the Gentiles because Peter followed God's leadership. That's it. That the gospel went to the Gentiles because Peter followed God's leadership. I want to ask you this tonight. Who is waiting for you to follow God's leadership? Who is waiting for you to follow God's leadership? You know, I found this in the Bible. God uses a variety of people, doesn't he? All different, all different backgrounds, different personalities. In the book of Acts so far, we've seen his use of Peter and, and, uh, and then Stephen and Philip and Saul. He uses all kinds of people. God uses all kinds of situations. Just since we've studied the book of Acts, we've seen how he used the Jewish festival of Pentecost. And then he used the healing of a lame man at the temple. He used uh, the situation with Ananias and and Sapphira who who were killed and, and God brought judgment on their life because of their secret sin as they were there in the church. God even used that for the advancement of the gospel. Problems associated with church growth. Persecution. The trip of an Ethiopian eunuch up to Jerusalem to lead him to Christ. And a mission by a wild man named Saul to kill and remove as many Christian witnesses as he could. And God used that man and will continue to use that man. Just last time we were together in the book of Acts in chapter 9, God used a man who had been paralyzed for eight years and used that situation, that man's need to lead others to Christ. Many, the Bible says, turned to Christ. And then used a dear lady named Tabitha, a godly lady, who did many things for many people and she died and, and then Peter went into that room there and he's moving up further north from Jerusalem and, and was in that Gentile area of Joppa and, and how he, that God used him to raise her back to life. In fact, one words, we said it this way. With the lame man, you have a great miracle. With the right raising of Tabitha, you had a greater America, miracle. But with the salvation of Cornelius, you had the greatest miracle of all that God would save a man. So God's doing all these things. It is really God that is leading. Peter just had to, had to follow, just like you and I do, step by step. Yeah, that's how we, how we are to follow God. And what he does in our lives is he leads us to take some what we might call smaller steps. And as we obey him in those steps, he prepares us for big steps. This is a huge step. For a Jewish man to enter into the house of a Gentile man, to sit and share with that man Christ, to see that man saved, and for the Jew and Gentile to eat together. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Why was it such a big step? Well, the Jews considered Gentiles unclean. Unclean. In fact, as we, you remember when we studied back in the book of Mark and how that, how that Gentile, or sorry, Jews would, after they came from the marketplace, would wash their, their hands from their hands all the way down to their elbows and, and they would make sure and they would wa- wash thoroughly because they might have come in contact with a, with a Gentile that would have contaminated them. Or even the bowls and the cups that they would have drank from, they would wash them thoroughly before using them, not for sanitary purposes, but because just the shadow of a Gentile might have passed over it. That's how they viewed us Gentiles. And so they were very uh, adverse towards them and kept their distance and would not eat with them, would not eat what they ate because of dietary laws that are in the book of Leviticus and, and, uh, and because of uh, the, the food that was offered unto idols and other issues and just unclean food that they would eat. So now... The disciples knew this, that the gospel was to go to all people of the world because it's to go to the uttermost part of the earth. So they understood that the Gentiles would be saved. But at this point to the book of Acts, it's been the Jews. And then it's been the Greek-oriented Jews, the Hellenist Jews, as you would call them, see them uh, called that. And then it just keeps branching out further. But here we have a Roman centurion, a Gentile indeed, named Cornelius. There's basically two issues for us to understand tonight as far as why what would have been facing the church at this time. Number one, would Gentiles be required to become Jews in order to be Christians? I'm going to run that by you one more time because that may not seem like a big deal to us. But for them back then, if we're to understand their context first, before we make application here tonight, they would have to wrestle with this question and they did wrestle with it. Would Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be Christians? That would affect things like this. Would Gentiles have to be circumcised? Would they have to observe dietary laws? Those questions were were looming and were were no doubt in everybody's mind. So what God is doing is he's taking the initiative to answer those questions ahead of time. And he shows through the salvation of Cornelius who was saved without being circumcised, who was saved without observing dietary laws, that it is not necessary for a Gentile to become a Jew in order to be a Christian. All right? Now, I don't know if that blesses your heart or not, but it really is a blessing because it's demonstrating here for us that salvation is not by keeping the law. It is strictly by grace through faith, and that alone, not of works. Let's say any man should boast. But they're going to struggle with this. This is a brand new concept for them in many regards as far as the law and the dietary laws and all those things. Question number two, they were, they were going to face at some point, and God was forcing them to face that earlier than maybe what they would have on their own. But haven't you found that that's how God works? He's leading the way. He's putting you in some situations that you may not be comfortable with just right then to stretch you. So here is question two. Could Jews and Gentiles fellowship together in one church? Could Jews and Gentiles fellowship together in one church? And namely this, could they have table fellowship? You know what that is. That's the Baptist code name, food. Could they eat together? Fellowship being code for food. Could, could they eat together? Could they sit down at a table, Jew and Gentile, and enjoy a meal? Well, that's a huge question. It may not seem like it to us, but for, but for Jews who never their whole life ate pork, see why this is such a big deal? Because it has to do with bacon, my friend, and... and But it's obviously bigger than that. But seriously, they had never eaten a pork. Peter had never eaten a pork. And, and other animals considered unclean. But God is going to use that lesson to teach a bigger lesson. So we see here God's leadership. God's leadership. I want you to note this here. God was leading in the life of this man, Cornelius. God was leading. God was at work. God was at work. Cornelius was a centurion. Centurions really in the New Testament are given in a, in a positive light. Jesus healed the servant of a centurion. When Jesus was crucified, a centurion was the one who said, surely this is the Son of God. So the centurions had a good reputation overall as responsible men in the New Testament. And so here is a military leader, a leader of a hundred men that were under his command. As he would lead them, which by the way, I believe God is interested in having a ministry to the military. In fact, as I was studying this, I couldn't help but think about Tinker Air Force Base and some that we've had come here recently. And some, of course, who have come through uh, Tinker and many, of course, who work there. Listen, I believe there's an untapped opportunity there for Southwest Baptist Church. That we could see the movement of the gospel there and reach some men and women there that would, I think, find this to be a wonderful church home in the time that they're here. You say, well, it's a long drive. That's okay. A church alive is worth the drive, as as is the saying. And so I believe it would be great that they would come here. And we've seen some coming. So let's just pray for God's leadership there. Cornelius lived in, in Caesarea. Caesarea uh, was, a, 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 it was the capital of that province there and the home of the Roman governor at the time. Herod took it as a small city and built it into a major city with a man-made harbor and a theater, an amphitheater and, and a temple that he dedicated to Caesar. And thus it was called Caesarea. Predominantly Gentile. Predominantly Gentile. And so it's just a fitting place that the gospel might take the next step of going to the Gentiles. Listen. Cornelius was a devout man. He was a devout man. He was very devoted. I don't know exactly what would have prompted Cornelius to do this, but but of course he was a Roman, but he knew Jewish individuals. Listen, he knew their morality. He knew that they served one God. And so the Bible tells us that he was a God-fearing man. The Bible tells us that he prayed. The Bible tells us that he gave alms to help out those who were poor. And so he did many good things. One major problem, he still lost. Now, I don't believe that Cornelius... I believe there's a a major difference here between Cornelius and others who are working to try to earn their salvation. I don't believe that Cornelius was doing these things with hope that he would be saved. But he was doing these things because, because he wanted to know the truth. Whereas others are doing these things in order to try to earn favor with God. But listen, you could be very religious and yet be lost and do all kinds of good things and be a member of all kinds of churches and religious organizations and be baptized in all kinds of water and still be lost. But here was Cornelius, and I believe he had a sincere desire to know the truth. And God shows him the truth. And God takes the initiative there to, to send him the message of salvation. But but in many ways, he had adapted at least some of the morals and some of the practices of the Jews. And so he's praying to God, and the Bible tells us it was the third hour in which he was praying. This would have been a normal time of prayer for Jewish individuals, and so he's praying at that time. Now, it's significant. I I want to point this out because in both of these scenarios... Cornelius was praying, and later on we'll see at noon, which was not a typical time of prayer for the Jews, but but it doesn't matter, you can pray anytime, anywhere. And so here was Peter who was praying at noon. So we have Cornelius praying, you have Peter praying, you have God leading. There's a connection there. God used prayer as an opportunity to give His guidance and His leadership. Why? Because prayer does this. When you pray, when I pray, we are opening ourselves up to God. And we're saying, God, I need your leadership here. I need your guidance. I need your help. And when we pray, God begins to move. It's not that He was not moving before, but prayer puts us in a place where He can move and guide in our lives. So Cornelius was praying. As he was praying, an angel showed up unto him and told him and gave him instructions to, to send someone to go and to uh, bring Peter and have Peter come there to Caesarea. At the same time that That Cornelius was praying, the Bible tells us that God was also leading in the life of Peter. So God was leading in the life of Cornelius. God was leading in the life of Peter. Peter was having quiet time with God. He was on the roof. Now that may sound weird to us here in this Western culture with roofs that have a pitch to it, but roofs back then were flat. And he could go up to the roof from the outside and be there on the roof and have a a time of prayer. And that's what he was doing. Well, he was Baptist and thus he was hungry. Peter was hungry and he was waiting to be fed. And so while they were making the meal, he was praying. The Bible tells us that he fell into a trance and had a vision. And in this vision, as he was there and it was connected to food because remember he was hungry... He had this vision of of this sheet, the four corners held there, and coming down from heaven. The the sheet maybe would have been the material of like a sail, some type of a, a, a sailing vessel, or or just a strong material. And and as it's coming down, there are four-footed beasts that are that are there, as it's pointed out here in the text, and uh, four-footed animals, and wild beasts, and reptiles, and birds, in this sheet that is lowered. And as far as we could tell, of course, they were all unclean animals. Things that Peter was, had never eaten and would not eat. The command came from heaven. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common or unclean. Peter didn't get it. First time, second time, third time. God told him to rise and to kill, and and because he was calling it now not unclean, but clean, and you're not to call unclean what God has called clean. And Peter got that part. He understood that that those restrictions were being removed. But he wasn't quite grasping as to why and what all that this meant. But I'll tell you tonight, it was more than just a change in diet. It was a change in God's program. It was a, it was a whole new open door that was coming that is just symbolized by the, by the uh, food. Because really, listen, whether Jew or Gentile, all before the sight of God are unclean. They all are guilty before God. There's not one person that is clean because of his race and another person that is unclean because of his race. Listen, because of the sin nature, all are unclean. But when Jesus saves a man or a woman, then God calls and declares them clean, no longer unclean. That was the lesson that Peter was to get. And about that time, while he was scratching his head and trying to figure this out, do you see and hear the divine leadership in all this? How God was leading Cornelius, how Peter was praying at just the right time. And, and then as these men made their day or day and a half journey, they showed up just at the time that Peter was praying there on the, on the rooftop. And, and as he was trying to figure all this out, the men down below said, Hey, is there a man named here named Simon, whose surname is Peter, and, and are we at the right place? And, and so they indicated that he was, and, and the, listen, the Spirit told Peter to go. The Spirit told him, and thus again you have divine leadership, God's leadership in Peter's life. And so God told Peter to go and, and to go and to greet these men. And so he greets them and, and the men in, uh, introduce or introduce themselves and explain that a man named Cornelius had sent for him because an angel had appeared and, and that he was to follow them. But then what they did is very significant, and I had missed this the first time reading through, but Peter invites them to come into his house and they stay the night. And these were Gentiles individuals. So Peter already is beginning to take a step in the right direction. Then Peter, the next day, makes the journey with them. He comes to the house where Cornelius is. And Cornelius, as he greets him there, the Bible says that he fell down before him and worshipped. And Peter says, listen, I'm not a celebrity. I'm just a servant. I'm just a man. I'm a man just as you are. I'm not anybody special. Peter's getting a major lesson here. And he's he's applying the lesson that God had told him. And then the Bible says, as we've already pointed out in our Bible reading time, that he entered in, which was forbidden. In fact, even Peter, you read his words there. He said, now this is, this is uncommon. This is not, not normal that a Jew would keep company with a Gentile. But God has showed me that I shouldn't call unclean what he has called clean. And so he entered into the home. And when he entered into the home, a new frontier of missions was then opened. But what I see here in these first 33 verses, as we've just briefly uh, covered them and considered them, and as Peter said, you know, I came without gainsaying, I came without objections. What he's basically saying is this, God led me here. I know he led me here. I know God's been working in your life. He's been leading all along the way. I know that he has you here. And in fact, Cornelius, the Bible says that he gathered together family and friends to come into the house. And Peter had a prepared audience there. And, and they were ready to hear the message. And he was able to declare unto them the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the next message we'll see, of course, that even before, even, even before Peter got to the conclusion and the invitation, they were already getting saved. You say, well, that's not fair. No, that's great. You don't even have to wait for the invitation to get saved. You can get saved right where you are. And that's where, that's where they were because God was inviting them. God was the one taking the initiative for them to be saved. God was the one that was leading for them to hear the message of the gospel. God was the one that was leading to prepare Peter to speak the gospel unto them. And so really when it's all said and done in eternity to come, the one who ought to get all the glory and the praise for a man's salvation is none other than God. The gospel came to the Gentiles... Because God led a man named Peter to go and share the gospel with them and people were saved. The gospel can go to others if you'll follow God's leadership. I believe God is leading. Why? Because the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost and they're still lost. And he told us to pray unto the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. He told us, first of all, of course, to what? Pray. There is much we can do after we have prayed, nothing we can do until we have prayed. Peter began to pray, Cornelius began to pray, and as they began to pray, great things began to happen. So I think, first of all, God is calling on us as a church and as individuals of this church to do none other than that. Pray. Amen. To Pray. Some of you right now are seeking God's leadership in your life. Can I tell you that it's more, it's bigger than just knowing what career you're going to be in and who you're going to marry and, and if you are married, you know, what you're going to, uh, where you're going to live and what you're going to do. Listen, it's bigger than that. God's leadership in your life doesn't just touch your life, but God's leadership in your life is all about the gospel going forth through your life. That's the bigger picture here. Because God is leading us to take the gospel further. But you're praying. You're, you're seeking God's leadership. I assure you tonight, based on the Word of God, God leads us. How does God lead us? He leads us through His Word. He leads us through the Spirit of God who's at work in our hearts. He, he leads us through the testimony of others. I believe God leads in church services to to call attention to something that you need to give attention to and, and how that God can use another person in your life. God is leading. Hey, listen, He doesn't have any problem communicating. We have a problem obeying. God is leading you, no doubt, this week to speak to somebody about Christ. God is leading you to answer his call, perhaps, to, to full-time gospel ministry. God is leading you, perhaps, to do that, or leading you to a certain school, or, or leading you, perhaps, as in the life of, of the Switzers here tonight, leading you to the mission field that someone else might have access to Christ. I want to ask you this tonight. Since God is leading, are you following his leadership? Are you following his leadership? Are you following his leadership in your finances? You see, whether or not you follow God's leadership in your finances, pertaining to your giving and pertaining to how you use your finances, has everything to do and will have an impact on who hears the gospel or who does not hear the gospel. So other people, based on this text, bringing it into where we live now, other people can hear the gospel if I and if you will follow God's leadership in the realm even of my finances. Other people can hear the gospel if I will follow God's leadership as to where he wants me to be involved in ministry or where he wants you to be involved in ministry. God may be leading somewhere here tonight to get involved, say, in the bus ministry. And there's a need there to, to serve in, in knocking doors and caring for children. Or some God, someone God might be leading to work in a Sunday school department or in a children's church department. Do you know why God leads in those ways? It's not just to fill gaps and it's not just to occupy somebody's time. No, it's for this reason. It's for the sake of the gospel. And so if God is prompting your heart and leading you to be involved in some ministry of the church, whatever it may be, music or evangelism or greeting, and, and I went around today and heard people practicing music and, and, and uh, being a part of the greeting ministry and helping others there. Listen, all those things have to do with the gospel, and it's essential that every one of us follow God's leadership for the sake of others that might hear the gospel. Others will hear the gospel if we'll follow God's leadership. How do you follow God's leadership? I've already emphasized it, but I want to emphasize it one more time. Begin with a quiet place of prayer. Go up to your rooftop. Okay, maybe not literally. But go to a place where you can get along with God to sense and and determine his leadership. What do you think Peter was praying about there on that rooftop? Lord, please help him get done with lunch so we can eat. Well, that might have crossed his mind. But I believe more so it was this. God, please help the gospel to go further. Help the gospel to go further. Thank you for what you've done in the past. Now, I'm I'm totally speculating here. But, but to see the answer to the prayer might tell us what the prayer was. Thank you for what what you've done in the life of Tabitha. Thank you for what you've done in the life of of Aeneas. Thank you for what you've done in the past. But God, please help the gospel to go further. And about that time, a knock came at the door. Hey, do you know anybody here named Peter? Yeah, he's up there praying. Peter. Well, the Spirit already sent him down. Why was was, uh, he able to follow God's leadership? I'll tell you why. Because he was being open to God by prayer already. If you're not endeavoring to take the gospel to someone, then evidently you're not following God's leadership because God will lead you to take the gospel to someone. If you're not endeavoring to take the gospel to someone, evidently you must not be praying because it, there seems to be this correlation. As we pray, then we are burdened about the gospel and we want to be involved in, and engaged in the, in the evangelizing the world in the sense of just preaching the gospel to the lost and God begins to lead and guide those who pray. And are involved. So begin if you want to see and know God's leadership. Here are teens that just coming back from camp, and and they have heard all week about God's leadership in their life as it pertains to things uh, such as their parents' rela- relationship with their parents, and and in terms of dating, and in terms of a lot of other topics that that teens deal with. Listen, as you come back from camp. Take what you've heard and follow God's leadership in some small steps because I believe there's some big steps that God wants to use and lead you into, but you've got to learn to walk with him step by step. Some of the children tonight, as I was getting around and asking them about Patch and how that was going, they were mentioning how they were singing a song about how that how that they take steps with the Savior. I'm forgetting right now the name of the of the song, but, but how they're learning to take steps. Hey, listen, from a child to a teen to an adult, really, the Christian life boils down to this. God is leading. He's going to be prompting you and I to do something for His namesake. And then the big question becomes this. Will you follow His leadership? Begin with prayer. Look for God's leadership. Look for ways that God is preparing your heart. Listen. Listen for ways that God may have prepared someone else's heart. It's obvious that God worked in the life of Cornelius to prepare him. But then we'll emphasize this more even in the next message. But but to, to do this, to be willing to go through the door that God has opened for you be willing to go through the door that God has in, has opened for you is there an open door at work that you need to go through is there an open door with a friend maybe God has opened a door with a neighbor a need maybe they had and you took advantage of the opportunity to try to be a friend and a help to them it may very well be an open door an open door with a family member Maybe God's opening a door for you to go to the mission field or opening a door for you to serve in some capacity. Listen, whatever door it is that God has before you, go through that open door for the sake of the gospel. As I was thinking about Brother Jonathan and Katie and the Switzers, and um, just looking back at some notes that I had, I came back across uh, the graveside service that we had for Brother Rex Switzer. And at that graveside service, we sang together this song, All the Way, My Savior Leads Me. And the significance of that song at the graveside was that it was one of the first songs that the Newers began to learn there in in South Sudan. And they sang it, of course, in their language. But, you know, they would not have been able to sing that song. Had a man and his wife not been sensitive to God's leadership. Though they may not have understood why would you want us to leave South Africa and to go to Ethiopia, but they were sensitive to God's leadership and because they went, there were individuals there in Ethiopia as well as in Sudan, South Sudan, who were saved by God's grace and now they sing in their own language all the way, my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, hereby faith in him to dwell. For I know whate'er befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. He's leading. He said, follow me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men. So for following him, we must be fishing for men. If we're not fishing for men, we must not be following. All the way, the Savior will lead us so that others might hear. Father, we thank you tonight in Jesus' name that you so care about the people of this world, so many of whom are so greatly different than we are, just as Peter experienced great cultural difference But God, you led him through that open door. And as a result, so many were saved. As a result tonight, we heard the gospel. Father, I uh, pray that you'd make us all sensitive to your leadership. As your people who live in a busy society, would you help us to be careful to have times and seasons of prayer? To turn aside and to humble ourselves before you and and thus to open our lives unto your leadership. I pray, God, for young people tonight who are trying to make decisions about their life and what's coming up in terms of either graduating high school or college, seeking your leadership there, God, would you make them very clear on what they're to do for the sake of Jesus' name and how that others might hear the gospel through them. Lord, would you help us in our day-to-day lives just to be careful to listen to your leadership, to be sensitive to the ways that you guide and lead your people. We want to be a people that are ready to be led and prompt in our responses, and I thank you that even as in the life of Peter, you're willing to teach him a lesson over and over again until he got it. God, I pray that we might fully embrace and accept our role in world evangelism, that we might make it our goal, our main goal as a church, that we would share the gospel in this region of the world and beyond our region through world missions. God, prepare our hearts. And Lord, I believe that based on this text, just as you worked then, you're working now to prepare people to hear the message. And God, I thank you for those missionaries that have gone out from this church and they're laboring now in Argentina and India and Brazil and Sri Lanka and Ethiopian all around this globe, dear God, and they're going to where you have prepared the field, where you've prepared the heart that others might receive the gospel. And I pray, God, for our sensitivity tonight, because we do believe that you're leading. Just help us to be very careful to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.